the book of Revelation says, it depends on um, your theology, but this is what the book says. Um, before the throne, there is a bowl of incense, always before the throne of God, full of what? Full of the prayers of the saints. So I think this is an image all the way back to the um, tabernacle, like God was saying, like, my people, they will always cry out to me. My people, they will, their prayers will be always before me. And, um, and I think that's why the Lord wanted it to be here. And when the high priest enters the most holy place, imagine, like, how do you access the throne of God? Through prayers. So I think that's the purpose of, um, of this um, altar of incense. And the author chose to put it with the presence of the Lord. With, based on all that I just share with you. All right, let's pray. And we can get started. Father, we want to extol you. We want to worship you. We want to lift your name high for you are great. You are worthy to be praised. You are the creator of all things. You um, wrought a plan of salvation and, Lord, you, you granted us repentance in due time. And, Lord, if your church can gather today to worship you, Lord, it's all because of what you have done for us. You purchased the people for yourself through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we want to see this today. We want to hear you speak to us through your word, and we want to um, cherish the blood of Christ, cherish you more, and serve you more wholeheartedly, Lord. Bless this time. Bless your church. Help me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we are back in Hebrews. Um, open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. So if you look at Hebrews, you, you said, oh, chapter 9. Um, you might think you, like maybe more than halfway through the book, but uh, I think you might be 40% through the book because... Uh, we have longer chapters coming um, up, um, chapter 11, 12, um, 10, maybe close to 50%. But today we're going to read um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1 to um, 12. Maybe for the, for the sermon I have here, we might stop at 10 and pick up next time um, with 11. For the context, let's read from 1 to 12. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table of the bread, and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered in, on all his sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, 
and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat of over the, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year. And not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washing, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an internal redemption. Amen. So last time we were in chapter 8, last time we were in Hebrew, we were in chapter 8, and we saw uh, the, the new covenant. And the new covenant, it's, it, many people cherish this passage in Hebrews because um, it talks about us, how we come to know God, how we can uh, now relate to God. Um, and then now in, in, in chapter 9, um, the author is basically expounding um, on, on these two covenants. He's drawing a stark contrast between the old covenant and new covenant. He is developing more this thesis um, that the, co- the new covenant is better. Um, and you saw in chapter 8, verse 13, that um, the old covenant is being replaced um, and that's what he's doing here. He's continuing this um, um, argument. The old covenant is passing away. The new covenant is better. Um, and he's showing all that th- uh, through these verses. Um, so we can say the, the, the passage where you have the uh, new covenant, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 6 to 13, is a, a parenthetical um, expository. Um, you know, I told you back when we first started the book, sometimes the author um, latch on an idea and develop it and then go back to the primary idea. So he, he does that like often. So in chapter 8, verse 1 to 5, he talks about the old covenant and um, the, the, the tabernacle and the tent that was prepared. But chapter 6 to, uh, uh, thir- verse 6 to 13 in chapter 8, he was like, he like opened a parenthesis and talks about the new covenant. And then in chapter 9, he goes back to tabernacle and, and the old covenant worship. So. so 
So in verse 5 in chapter 8, he says, They serve a copy and shadow of the, of the heavenly things. That pronoun they refers to the priest, the tabernacle, the sacrificial system. Um, and also the next verse, chapter 6, um, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old covenant. So he's, he will continue to show that the old covenant was pointing to the greater reality was pointing to Christ. And the reason he's doing that, it's, it, if you have to remember the, the main purpose, the main reason we have the book of Hebrews. These Christians of the first century wanted to go back to Moses and the law and the sacrificial system and the priesthood. Um, but he's reminding them these were a foreshadow of the true things. Christ is the mediator of a better covenant, a covenant not based on external observance, but based on a true internal regeneration of the heart. And I showed you last time, like, all these, like, we could not uh, be right with God um, on, based on the um, old covenant system. We, everything was pointing to that one person Everything was pointing to Jesus Christ. Um, so today I have three simple points I want to walk you uh, uh, through. Actually, I might do two and maybe next time continue with the third one. Um, verse 1 uh, to 5 uh, talks about the tabernacle, a foreshadowing of the new covenant worship. The second uh, portion uh, verse 6 to 10 uh, talks about the ordinances and the uh, rituals that were um, uh, mediating the access to God. And the last portion would be like verses 11 to 14 when we see the redemption we have um, in Jesus Christ. So um, the tabernacle, the ordinances, and the redemption in Jesus Christ. Those three points. But I think I might do the first two uh, and keep the last one uh, for next time. So again, let's go back to verse 1. Now even the first covenant had regulation for worship and an earthly place of holiness. Some other translation rendered that now even uh, as indeed, uh, which means moreover, kind of tying what I was saying earlier, verse 5 and 6 into this. Moreover, the tabernacle or the old covenant has those regulation and um, those rituals. So uh, the word covenant is not in the Greek, but it was added for our comprehension. It basically says, now the old had regulation, but uh, the authors uh, kind of put it in there um, to make us understand like he's still talking about the covenant. Um, so the first covenant had regulation for worship. The Greek word means laws or precepts or ordinances. Talking about um, religious rites and services connect, uh, connected to the old co uh, covenant system. And that earthly place of holiness was the movable tent, what we call the tabernacle, um, and it, in the wilderness, it was a tabernacle, but when they got into the land, they built a temple. But you had the same element in the temple as well. You have a holy place and the most holy 
Um, so, and if you read verse 11, um, that tent is contrasted um, to the, um, the tent in heaven. Um, verse 11 says, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things uh, that have come, then to the greater and more perfect tent. So you have a more greater and perfect tent. Um, Christ is ministering in the heavenly places, but the tent in verse 1 is the earthly tent, which is the tabernacle, something created in this world. So, um, so showing you the contrast between the two uh, systems. So in verse 1, the author um, is basically presenting what he's going to do next. He's saying, I'm going to talk about the tabernacle, verse 2 to 5, and I'm going to talk about the ordinances, verses 6 to 10. Let's read it again. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship, so we're going to see that in verse 6 to 10. And an earthly place of holiness, which is the tabernacle, some other translations say sanctuary. So this is what we see in verse 2 to 5. So let's read in verse 2, which is going to be my first point. Um, we start, we're getting into the tabernacle. We're going to see the tabernacle is a foreshadowing of the new covenant worship. The tabernacle was a foreshadowing of the new covenant worship. For a tent was prepared, verse 2, for a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the present. It is called uh, the, t- the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. When you think of the tabernacle, it has basically two parts. We had the, the court or the outer court where people like the common uh, people of the people, the common people of Israel would come and offer their sacrifices. And then you have the tent. So this is describing the tent. Like verses 2 to 5 is describing the tent. The outer court is not here. Um, so it, ver, verse 2 and 3 are showing you that we had two sections in the tent of meeting, uh, called, most of the time called, called a tent of meeting. Um, so verse 2 says, um, a tent was prepared, the first section in which you have the lampstand and the table of, and the table and the bread of presence. Verse 3 talks about the second section. Behind the second curtain was a section called the most holy place. And what do we find in this most holy place? Verse 4, having the golden altar of incense. I'm going to talk about a little nuance here about the golden altar of incense. Um, And the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. So this is... What, where the people of Israel were worshiping God, coming into um, um, the uh, out, outer court with a bull, with a goat, with a turtle dove, 
um, to offer sacrifices. They, they had five type, different types of sacrifices. There was a sixth one uh, is when a priest is being ordained, but this is not often. But on a regular basis, people would like offer five sacrifices. And all this was taking place into the tabernacle. And there are three views I want to walk you through to make you understand like the tabernacle, what it was pointing to. So the first view is that the tabernacle points to God. The tabernacle points to God. It reflected the holiness of God. No one could ever enter um, uh, the holy place except the priest. And the most holy place, only the high priest would enter there. And only once a year. So the tent represented the holiness of God. It also communicated the transcendence of God. God, you remember when, um, I always uh, butcher his name, um, Uzzah touched the Ark of the Covenant. He died on the spot, and David was angry and was afraid because the presence of, the God, of, of God is dangerous, like for common men to come into um, uh, proximity with. And God says, I'm not like you. I'm holy. I'm separated. I'm above you. I'm not like the common man. So God, and God is above all else. It shows the perfection of God. It also shows the righteousness of God. Uh, it's a reminder that um, God made a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai to be in their midst. God said, I'm going to be in your midst. Um, you're going to be a people of my own possession. Um, so it's a reminder of that promise, of that covenant God made with them. So all the items we find inside of the tabernacle, um, they um, demonstrated um, the acts of God, acts of redemption, um, the faithfulness of God. God is the one who keeps his um, covenant, the holiness of God. But each can have a really specific meaning. So the staff of Aaron that budded, it's a reminder that God will keep his people alive in the wilderness and through the mediation of the high priest. So God provided a way for people to commune with him through the high priest, and God said, Aaron and his lineage, they're going to serve before me, and if you want to come in proximity with me, I'm not going to kill you because I provided a way through Aaron. Um, and, and so that's the meaning of the staff. It's a reminder that God will not destroy them, um, and there is a high priest that kind of mediate for them. The tablets, which, we ha which has the Ten Commandments, it's a reminder of the covenant of God and their responsibility to obey God. You have the Ten Commandments inside the Ark of the Covenant, reminding the people, hey, you have um, to obey God, and you have ways you relate to your um, fellow uh, brothers and sisters. Um, there, there, there was the golden urn, uh, which is the, a, a jar, and it, was, it has the manna, which reminded the people, like Brother Reese was saying, like the provision of God. God provides for these people, took care of them, sustain them. Like throughout the 40 years of their wandering in the wilderness, God 
provided manna for them. So God reminded the people, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide food for you. Um, and the Ark of the Covenant itself provided the love of God for Israel. God chose a people, like they didn't do anything good, but God says, I'm going to put my name in Israel. And, um, and God proclaimed his faithfulness toward, um, to them. So these elements in the, in the uh, tabernacle represent all these, which we can take for ourselves too. Like God promised he will take care of us, right? God promised he will, be, uh, he will never leave, leave us or forsake us. God says, do not worry about things you're going to wear or food. Uh, Jesus promised all that in the Sermon on the, on the Mount. So for the Christian, we have those promises. So everything then they have a greater reality in the new covenant. All right, so that's what we have in the like, most holy place, but the author did something. He took a liberty here to do something. So the, the, this golden altar of incense, if you go back to Exodus 30, it was not in the, holy, the most holy place. It was in front of the veil right before you enter the most holy place. But you see here, like in, um, in this passage, he, he mentioned it was in the holy place, in the most holy place. Um, um, I think it's, it's a liberty that he took um, because we know, like, the, the author is familiar with the tradition of the people of Israel. He knows that the Old Testament really well. But I don't think he was confused or when he made such a statement. I think he deliberately associated the altar of incense with the presence of God. Since the presence of God was in the most holy place, so he associated that with the most holy place. Why? Because God commanded them to always burn incense on that. To always uh, keep it, keep fire and put incense on it. Um, Leviticus 16, uh, 12, and 13. Um, and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord. So that's the purpose of the altar of incense. God said, you, you have to keep it burning. Why? Whenever the high priest is going into the most holy place on the day of atonement, he needs to do this. He, take, he needs to take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord. So the altar is before the Lord always. And two handful of sweet incense, be and small, and he shall bring it inside the veil. So before the high priest enters behind the veil into the most holy place, he has to do this, have a censer, uh, take coals from the uh, altar, put it in there, and put the incense so that when he enters the room, there is a sweet aroma in the room um, in, in, in the most holy place. And the reason um, I'm thinking um, this altar of incense um, is there because um, God uh, was pointing to something greater. In, the, in, in Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation says, it uh, depends on um, your theology, but this is what the book says, uh, before the throne, there is a bowl of incense always before the throne of God. Full of what? 
full of the prayers of the saints. So I think this is an image all the way back to the um, tabernacle. Like God was saying, like, my people, they will always cry out to me. My people, they will, their prayers will be always before me. And, um, and I think that's why the Lord wanted it to be here. And when the high priest enters the most holy place, imagine, like, how do you access the throne of God? Through prayers. So I think that's the purpose of, um, of this um, altar of incense. And the author chose to put it with the presence of the Lord, with, based on all that I just share with you. All right. So all these elements, that's what they represent. So they represent God, and, and, and they represent um, his holiness. Um, they represent his faithfulness, his love for Israel, and his love for his people. The second view, the tabernacle, appoints to Christ. The tabernacle was a way for God to dwell among Israel, right? Among his people. And Christ is said to be, what, a tabernacle. Like if you think of the verbiage used in John 1 verse 14, um, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. That word dwelt is the word tabernacle. So he dwelt among us and we've seen his glory Glory as, uh, as the only son of, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Christ dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. So God was inside the tabernacle, um, was meeting with the people, with Moses at one point, like all the time. But, but after that, once a year with the high priest. So God wanted to dwell among his people, pointing to the time when Jesus will be dwelling among men. So the tabernacle points to Jesus Christ. The other thing, like, the tabernacle was glorious. You have gold all over, all, like, in the uh, holy place and in the most holy place. Everything was uh, beautiful. We have the linen, the beautiful colors. And in, in, in chapter 5, it says that the garment of the high priest was for glory and beauty. And we know Jesus is our king of glory. Psalm 24, which is a, a reference to um, Christ uh, coming uh, into heaven um, in glory. Who is the king of glory? Uh, which is a picture of Christ. So Christ is a king of glory. So the glory of the tabernacle is, the, uh, is pointing to the glory of Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, he says, we see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. So that glory now shines upon us. Back in the Old Covenant, we couldn't see this. Only the priests would be in the holy places, the holy place, and the high priest in the most holy place. Everybody else was, was kept out. But Jesus Christ made it possible so, we, so that we can see the glory of Christ, the glory of God in his face. So the, the tabernacle points to Christ. And the third view is that um, it points to the relationship between God and his people. So the tabernacle points to the relationship between God and his people. So the lampstand and the bread of presence points to the people of God. Why do I say that? In most um, apocalyptic uh, literature, 
lampstands represent the people of God. Let me give you an example. Revelation 1.20. Go back to Revelation again. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the seven uh, are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands lampstands are the seven churches. So we see seven lampstands. Lampstands, they are the seven, They are the churches in Revelation. Zechariah have the same idea. Um, if you go all over the Bible, usually it represents the, the church or the people of God. Um, how about the bread of presence? Do you know how many loaves of bread of presence we had? Twelve, which represent the twelve tribe of Israel. So, so you have the people, like the holy of holy, the holy of holies is where you have the presence of God, and the holy also have this picture of the people of God, which represent the lampstand, which represented by the lampstand, and the bread. So. The people of God will um, always be in the presence of God. I know back in the Old Covenant, there was a separation because of the veil. But uh, every, every year, the veil will be open and the high priest will uh, enter, pointing to the time when Christ will do one sacrifice when now we can enter into the presence of God. So, verse... Um, Verse 5, um, above, and, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. I wish you could speak in detail. When you read this verse, you're like, give me details. But he said, I'm not going to do that. Um, so, the cherubim and uh, the mercy seat, they represent heaven. They represent um, um, the reality in heaven because where are the cherubim? They are angelic beings and to whom God gives special um, duty. Like, for example, after the fall, God had two cherubim to guard the Garden of Eden, and they were like having sword of fire preventing anyone to enter the Garden of Eden. So cherubim are like angels, and usually God gave them a special duty to do. And, um, and in here, like, they were watching over the mercy seat. So they're watching over um, um, the throne of God, the throne of mercy, which is a picture of heaven. And the, the fact that everything was made with gold Gold at that time was like one of the most like precious commodity. Here we have what diamonds and um, I don't know platinum, but I think diamond is I don't know platinum is better than gold, but I don't know. Forgive my chemistry failure. Uh, I failed that class, but anyways, um, gold at that time was one of the like the precious metal, like and it's valuable. It's something like like. Really, um, you can put a pri- you cannot put a price on it. So, God, uh, God told them to build all these uh, utensils or furniture in gold, 
to represent the preciousness of heaven, to, pre to represent heaven is not like this world. So, but the second part of verse 5, that's what bugs me. Of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. And I was like, why did he say that? And the reason goes back to the reason he wrote the book. This Jewish Christian, um, they, they have an understanding of the, the tabernacle and the holy place and the most holy place. Um, and they know that this is like intricately linked to God. But he's telling them, you need to abandon these things and go on to maturity because all these things were foundational stuff. They were foundational doctrine of Christ. You need to move to uh, what is greater, to Christ. So he doesn't want to spend more time. Like, you know, the more you spend time on, on something, you're going to start thinking about it. You're going to think about, oh, I remember the days when I, I don't know, I was bringing my, my lamb and killing it and ask for forgiveness. So he, he doesn't want to bring that to their memory. So he said, I'm not going to spend time on these things. But he doesn't put them down. Those things are like, he gives them the right place, but he doesn't dwell on them so that the focus is not that. The focus is Christ. That's where you need to put your gaze. That's where you need to put your focus. So if you have this each, like you want to have details, know that you need to put your focus on Christ, and Christ is the focus um, for everything we do. All right, so that was the first point, the tabernacle and how it foreshadows the new covenant and the new covenant worship. If you want to read all these, if you want details, um, the Bible um, is, is, is faithful to record this thing for us. Um, Exodus 25 to 31, and also Exodus 35 to 40. You're going to see um, God, um, the people, they brought... Um, um, a contribution, and then God told Moses, this is how I want everything to be built, and then he gave them skilled men um, um, to build these things. Um, he, and he put his spirit in those men so they can do this, uh, crafts uh, and build these things in bronze, um, silver, and gold. All right, so the next point, the end of the ordinances, we're going to see that. So we're going to see the ordinances, and we're going to see they were coming to an end, okay? That's verses 6 to um, 10. Let's read verse 6 to 10. Um, These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. So what are those ritual duties? They were to, put, um, they were to light up the lamps, the lampstand uh, inside the holy place. Um, they were changing uh, regularly the bread. Um, you remember when David entered like the temple and he wanted he, he was famished. It's like I need food, um, and the priest was like, I cannot give you food. I only have the, sh the bread of the presence. Um, but those were like the one he was going to replace and put new ones. And David fed, David said, give him to me, and he. 
and if, if the priest was like, did, the, did they keep their, um, their life pure? And yeah, we've been pure, so he gave them. So this is one thing that was reserved only for Aaron and his sons. And David was basically like breaking the law. But the Lord showed him mercy and let him eat the bread of the presence. But regularly, the, the priests, they would change that, that bread to put new ones. Um, what, all, what all the duties they had, they, they had to burn incense in the holy place. Um, they had to put coal on the altar of, uh, of incense. And um, when there is sin offering, the priest would come on the horn of the altar. They would, like, sprinkle uh, blood. Um, to, they would do that whenever there is sin offering. And, and on the Day of Atonement, they would go into the most holy places and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And mercy seat, like if I didn't explain that, is just the cover of the um, Ark of the Covenant. So it's like a, it's a, a platter, like, and it goes over the Ark of the, the Ark of the Covenant, which is like basically a big chest with the uh, Aaron staff and everything else I mentioned earlier. So, but yeah, that was their duty. They, they were supposed to do that regularly. Um, some of them, they, did, they had to do them morning and evening. Some of them on the Sabbath every seven days. So they had to do that. Um, verse 7. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the intentional sins of the people. So only the high priest could go into the second section, the most holy place. And why the Lord told him, hey, you need to intercede for your sin and the sin of the people. On the Day of Atonement, what happened? They chose two goats. And one of them, they conf- on, on one of them, they confessed their sin. And the priest confessed his sin, the sin of the people, and that goat is free to go in the wilderness, go in the desert, and into, into the wild and be free, which is a picture of God forgiving our sin and remembering him no more. He said in the new covenant, I will remember their sin no more. So the, the goat, the scapegoat, is the one that was sent into the wilderness. But the other one was killed, and the blood was taken into the most holy place one time every year. So, and the most holy place was only uh, accessed by the high priest. And he says here, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Had to wrestle with this a little bit. I'm still wrestling with it, but I'm going to give you the best explanation I have for it. Um, I think every sin you commit in life, most of them, like you, it's intentional, right? You, you, it's either, so in the Bible, most Christians, like they, from the Bible, from reading the Bible, they think there are like two main um, categories of sin. Sin, you, sin of commission and sins of omission, Commission is something you commit, like you commit, I don't know, thievery or something, like you, you, you lie, so you committed something. 
Um, and there is a sin of omission, something you omit to do, you don't do it. So, for example, I know um, um, I should not, uh, like the, the, the Lord told the people of Israel, like you should not partake in the worship of the uh, pagans nation around you. And they did that. And it's, they, they were supposed to keep themselves pure, but they omit to do that. They omit to keep themselves pure. Um, if, that does, if that doesn't help you, um, it's basically when you don't do something you ought to do. It's basically you don't do something you ought to do. So that's the sin of omission. Um, but yeah, the Bible talks about this third category of sins, the unintentional sins of the people. So what are they? Actually, the Lord told them um, in Leviticus 4, 1 and 2, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, if anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandment about things not to be done and does any of them, and then he explained what's, what needs to be done. You can offer a bull, you can offer a goat or a lamb, and if you read the, the chapter, you're going to see how they need to do that. Actually, there is a fourth sin in the Old Covenant that I, I call the high-hand high sin. That's why David wrote Psalm 51. It's like, if I were to offer sacrifices, you would not take pleasure in them, O Lord. Because there is a kind of sin when you do them, there is no sacrifice for them. Um, but thanks be to God, the blood of Jesus Christ covers all of our sin. Any sin, like someone might say, I'm the worst person. Why should God save me? Because the blood of Christ is sufficient to save you. I am a criminal. Why should God save me? Because his blood is sufficient to save you. So anyone, there, that's why like in the old covenant, there was no hope for some sins that you committed. That's why David says, a contrite heart, you will not refuse, O Lord, so, Lord, I'm just, like, begging you for mercy. Just give me mercy because there's no sacrifice I can offer. Um, and the Lord, that's why the Lord finds in David someone after his own heart. But, and I was thinking of practical ways that for us today we would do, like, unintentional sin. I couldn't find anything. I found a website. Um, it's called wisdom hunters but i didn't check the website to see if it's legit but this thing's help this thing was helpful to me it's founded by by a guy named boyd bailey he's a christian um but this is what he says of course unintentional sin requires intention intentional actions you can sincerely sin unknowingly but this does not diminish your guilt it does not diminish the the effect of your sins. In, indeed, unintentional sins may do most harm. They are so harmful because the offender is unaware of their sinful, subtle behavior. So it can be a subtle sin like you're doing and you're not even aware of that. And, I, and he continues to say, and I'm, I feel guilty of that because I do that 
He said, um, you may be treating your spouse in a subtle but sinful way. It may be silent silent treatment when you ought to speak, or it may be you speak when you ought to be silent. And you may be completely oblivious to this thing. It can be a sarcastic humor, and you justify it by, I'm just kidding. But in reality, um, that joke can evolve into putting down the person, discouraging them, and then bully them. The Bible says to use your word to build up. And, and also the Bible says we're going to give an account for every idol, every vain word that we say with our mouth. Um, so I'm like, yeah, you can be saying something funny, but you're sinning. Someone is getting hurt, and you don't even know that. Um, so that's an example, uh, practical for me. Um, so the people might be doing things like the Lord commanded back in the Old Covenant, and they were not aware they were sinful, but yes, um, it brought, it, it brought um, guilt on the people, and the Day of Atonement was for that. Like They confessed their sin, and they, they, t- they took the blood, brought it into the most holy place. And the high priest would go once a year. Um, once a year. All right, verse 8. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. So he says the Holy Spirit is indicating. So right there, you can say the Bible is the inspired word of the Holy Spirit. He's taking something that is said in Leviticus and in um, uh, Numbers and Exodus, say like the Holy Spirit is saying that. So this is the inspired word of God. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. So the second thing is that... um, by this, the Holy Spirit is saying or indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open. What does that mean? As long as you have this curtain separating the holy and the most holy place, you don't have direct access to God. You don't have, um, you cannot draw near the throne of God. The people were not allowed into the temple, into the tent of meeting, uh, even the temple. The priest would go in the holy place, and the, the high priest once say into the most holy place. Verse 9 continues to say that, um, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. So, The nature of the, um, the, the sacrifice that is offered on the Day of Atonement um, and the nature of the structure of the tabernacle demonstrated that sinful men cannot approach a holy God. The, if you have a temple with the holy place and the most holy place, 
it's crying loud, like, you are a sinful man. You cannot come into the presence of God. You cannot draw near God. This is what the, the, the author is saying, the Holy Spirit indicating um, something through the architecture of the tabernacle. So the way everything was set up, the way everything, the holy place and the most holy place is a sign that we are far from God. But under the new covenant, we no longer need to make this distinction. What happened? When Christ died, he cried. It is finished. And what happened? The veil was torn in two. And now the holy and the most holy place are one giving access to men to the presence of a holy God. When Christ cried, it is finished, the veil separating the most holy place and the holy place, um, God was announcing to the world that people now can come into his presence. How? By faith in the finished and final work of Jesus Christ. So we don't need a high priest to meet with God for us. We now have direct access to the throne room of God Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of the, the new covenant. That's the beauty. We have access to God. We have access to the pre- very presence of God. Um, but verse 9 continues to say, or maybe at the first part he says, which is symbolic for the present age. The tabernacle, the temple, and all the sacrifices that was that was being done, that were being done, they were symbolic for the present age. Which age is maybe contemporarily contemporary to the author? Like the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews. Um, this was um, for the time, okay. The sacrifices, the the the, the priesthood. The sacrificial system, they were for that age. But guess what? Verse 11 says um, they were imposed, uh, sorry, it's end of verse 10, they were imposed until a time of reformation. There was a time all this would be stopped. All this would be done away with. And we know what happened in 7080. 7080, Titus came, destroyed the temple. He went into the most holy place. Like he took like pigs and mingled uh, all the th- all the stuff in the temple with pigs' blood. It was um, uh, offense to the Jews. Like you, it, it it's like you take this um, holy place of worship and turn it into a pig stall. But God says, in Christ, this is how men can relate to Him. So that is verse 6 to 10. So the new, uh, the, the new uh, way of, uh, worship, of worshiping God it was inaugurated in Jesus Christ. The old way was done away with when Christ came on the earth. Application for us. We don't have to stay far off. We don't have to be like Uzzah 
worrying if we touch the Ark of the Covenant, we can fall dead. Actually, God bids us to come into his presence. The Christian can come into the presence of God. And the reason is because Christ bought our redemption through his blood on the cross. He did it because God altogether was planning this thing. God, this is the plan of God. I see the old covenant as a commercial, right? Or like, a, um, I remember when I was in Haiti, I has a band, band, I used to sing in a band, and sometimes we have a concert, so we're like, hey, on October 18, we're gonna have a concert. Everything was building up to that point. So that's the same thing with the old covenant. Everything was building up to the point of when Christ will come, he will do away with the old covenant and we can have a new way to relate with God. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can enter into his presence and there is no fear. Like there is, the love of God will cast every fear. So next time we're gonna see the covenant, uh, the, sorry, the redemption of Jesus Christ, uh, the redemption he provided for us because he did away with um, the old covenant. Amen. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the types and shadows in the old covenant. They were pointing to a greater reality, the reality that one day, one sacrifice will be sufficient for us. The sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, who came and dwelt with us, who came and tabernacled with us so that we, we can know you, we can see your light, we can see your glory, and relate to you in a new way we can enter into your presence. Lord, we want to love you. We want to love what you've done for us. Please help us, Lord, to, to love you more and live for you every day of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.